Well, you know, I uh, I restarted with our friend Charles, our old podcast. We call it Drunker and Retireder now because, you know, I don't know what's going on with domain names and stuff. And I think it's it's funny because it used to be just drunk and retired. And I'm explaining the joke. You can you can figure out why it's funny to, for it to be called Drunker and Retireder. Anyways, so I've been saving up this topic I wanted to ask him because this is kind of like the type of topics we would go over. But I don't think I'm ever going to get around to it because I've been saving it for three episodes. So I'm going to ask you, Brandon. <clears throat> how long do you wear a pair of pants before like putting it in the laundry or changing your pants? Um, well, I just assuming you mean jeans. Cause like, let's be honest, I don't really wear many other kinds of pants these days. Sure. sure but, uh, sure. I mean a while, I guess. Let me just start out there. Like, <laughs> uh, I believe well, jeans. Let's, let's start with the I wide mean, Yeah. Let me just start out there. Like if anyone was thinking like, Oh, twice, you know, two max, like not even close, like jeans. I think jeans that sort of get worn in and, you know, uh, they can go for, a, a, you know, at least a week or two. Right. If everything no, no, is if good. Now, obviously, like there's like extenuating circumstances, like I spill stuff all over it. I think, you know, sure, sure. I, you know, I go out uh, here in Texas. I'm not riding horses, which I've actually never done. But like, you know, something like that, some activity that clearly the jeans got destroyed in. They would get the full wash. Yeah. But, uh, but for for mm-hmm. for like, let's call it the the office workload, especially the work work from home workload. I mean, it's uh I don't know if there is an expiration date. You have to wait till a for a catastrophic pants failure before really you need to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, before. jeans especially. Obviously, I mean, I like I said, I'm taking slacks and that that out. Like that would those don't those are usually just a once wear and maybe not dry cleaned or properly. Yeah. Uh, but jeans, like yeah, like I like I like the jeans. And I even read something. I mean, maybe this is this is uh, just uh, validation validating your own thoughts right here, seeking that. But I think I read something. Even people said that like expensive jeans. Especially like you shouldn't wash them as much, right? Because if uh, I don't know what people pay on jeans, but like designer jeans, whatever. Like some, I think I thought that was like a fashion recommendation. It was like don't wash them as much; it'll, you know, they'll ruin them over time. So not that I actually do that. That is that is not the reason I do it. I just do it out of laziness, and I like I just like when the jeans kind of get broken in and have a nice uh, a nice feel to it. So. I hope that was the right answer. I hope you're not going to say, well, no, every, I, I, mean, I hope you were, if you say every day, every a one wear only, I'd be like, oof, kind of feel awkward. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is something that we don't talk about enough as a, as a society is, is the idea of, I mean, you know, cleanliness is, is great. And uh, I think there's a lot of reactions uh, to, to sort of like needing to wash and, and be clean. But I think, I think there is, uh, I think, I think as we are uh, facing climate change, we need to reconsider some of these notions <laughs> that I think drive people to maybe launder their pants too much right now. Now shirts, I think a shirt for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's probably a little disgusting to get into it. I think a shirt you change more often, especially in like Texas, right? Cause I think more of the dirtiness, your, your self-generated dirtiness occurs at the shirt layer. And so you got to do something there, but I feel like, you know, with the pants, even on a very sweaty day, like, like, uh, I don't really have real sweaty days here back in Texas. Like you're basically only talking about like self dirtying just right below the belt level, right? Like you're not really even, it's just the waste area that we're talking about, you know, could do with a wash, but the whole rest of the jeans I feel like are fine. Plus there's shorts, right? If it's going to be that, that hot. Yeah. yeah you just go to the shorts. You're going to wear shorts. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I don't know. I just, I just think, uh, now I want to add my thing is, is the, the slacks, the dress pants. Now I only wear, I wear dress pants extremely 
occasionally. Unfrequently. Are you visiting mostly when you're visiting customers and prospective clients and stuff, or or have you gone to like the dark gene as the? uh, Oh, I I I try I try the dark genes, the black genes, and the now black genes is a let me let's put a footnote Mm, on that. That's a whole other category of gene now. That's gonna be a whole other subject. Uh huh. Now I I I have moved in recent years to the uh, yes the dark genes. Now the problem there maybe and this is to your washing point is they do fade a bit. And so Absolutely. at some point you got to, you got to call it yeah. on the dark genes yeah. and the dark genes become the, the home genes, yeah. right? Like you got to yeah. cycle through these things. And as many people complain about the problem, I mean, of course, all I'm talking about are Levi's, right? I mean, I wear some scotch and soda jeans every now and then, but that's just an exotic thing, right? Like that's, that's just, that's just like those drill bits that you're like, I don't really know what these are for. Maybe I'll use them one day and you just keep them around. Like, you know, that one that like you do to do an inset screw, just like, oh man, that would be fun to do that. Mm-hmm. And you never use it. Anyways, uh, I used a masonry drill bit the other day. That was fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the problem is that the Levi things are unreliable and there's too many of them, right? Like they need to have like three styles of Levi's. They need to have European fit Levi, American fit dad Levi, and then they need to have like boot cut Levi, you know, the cowboy that bellows yeah. out in the bottom and all these other types of Levi's. I don't have fucking time for that. They need Unnecessary. to just quit it with that bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So <laughs> the issue is that, you know, the Levi's, they keep shifting on me. And I can't, like, I can't nail down. Like, I need to really, I almost need, like, a skew of, like, I need the 529 relaxed fit, tight fit boot not cut. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this color. Like, I, I, I wish I could just have that on, like... And Amazon subscribe and save 5% discount every year. They send me a pair. But the, it's got to be like that same one, you know? Yeah, I think what you really want is the um, the jeans with the long-term support. You know, like, you, like these jeans, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you are, are guaranteed not, they're not going to change the fit or the style on you for 10 years, right? Because that's the normal yeah, thing. So that way yeah. he's like, hey. LTS jeans, LTS that's what jeans. I need. If I can, because uh, I mean, who doesn't want that? Because it's like, that is the worst thing. It's like, oh. That's they've, the dream. They've updated the styles or the cut. And then you have to be in the place. You have to be like, no. And then, cause you're always like, oftentimes I'm shopping in the jeans that I have to replace. Right. That's like, that's the thing. You're like, yes, I want yes. these. And like, well, we don't make these anymore. Right. They're gone. So, and then you have to go through the process of all, everything you just said, you have to be like, go through every one of these like new fits and then you try to find <sighs> one and then you have to adjust. Uh, and eventually, you know, you, you get used to it. But yes, I, I think we would all, that would be great if someone was like for 10 years, this cut of gene will not change at all. Right. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. and they will keep a very basic colors in stock, right? Like the dark gene, let's call yep. it like the, the middle. And then, then you just know, boom, that can last for there forever. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. the fashion world would, would be totally onto this, you know? Yes. We're not going to change for 10 years. That's the, uh, that's the sales. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I read fashion things every night, little, little trade things. Cause it's kind of fun. And uh, I don't know why else I would read it. And, uh, you know, every now and then they worry about like fast fashion, like, you know, destroying, you know, seals and, and the world and stuff like that. So maybe this is we need to have like LTS fashion would, would be a good answer. And I, I think I just one more, you know, to close out the topic, my I need to follow this recommendation. But I realized late uh, the last I think the last two times I was in Austin which is the only two times I was in Austin since I've lived here, so to speak. I've only been back twice is I think I was 
Well, one of the times I was lucky enough that Academy was having its Levi's sale where they there it's basically like ten, twenty dollars off. And I think one, that's a little recommendation. You gotta be on the lookout. I don't know if Academy is in every part of uh of the States, but be on the lookout for the, the I know it's all about the Nordstrom sale. Every year, go to the Nordstrom sale, buy the stuff. But look out for the Academy Levi sale. Go there. And I think next time I'm around, I need to buy like 10 pants, 10, 10, 10, uh, 10 pairs of the ones that fit and just uh, just stockpile them. And it's too bad you can't do that with uh, with software. Just stockpile EULAs so that you can <laughs> just keep using them in cereal. But uh Eventually, yeah, we're going to need the, the LTS genes. I think, I think we should product manage that, Brandon. Well, hi there. It's me. This episode is brought to you by StrongDM. One of your SREs quit. You suspended their VPN access. Was that good enough? Are you sure your infrastructure access is locked down? StrongDM is the only way to be confident in your access controls across any environment. Instantly revoke access to any database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to demonstrate exactly who did what, when, and where across your entire stack. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting workflows. Start your 14-day trial at strongdm.com slash SDT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Enjoy the rest of the show. Well, you know, I've been... I've been uh... I think as as I've, I've chronicled over the past ten years, I, I'm uh, I'm always like unfollowing everyone on Twitter, and then I feel the need to creep back, more of a professional need that like, you know, in my in my thought lording world, if you're not like involved in Twitter and following it, you kind of lose track of everyone. Like you don't really know what's going on. So every now and then I like pop in there, see what's happening, and I've noticed a lot of pictures of. of <laughs> You know, our, our buddies over there in LA at KubeCon, it's making me a little, a little winsome, a little, a little, uh, I wish I was there like in person. Um, but I'm not, maybe I was talking with someone and it seems like we're going to have a lot more in-person events next year early, which will be good. But that means KubeCon is going on now. I'm sure there's lots of product announcements, including from, from my company, VMware. And there's, there's one from uh, Matt's that we'll wait for next week to talk about. Uh, but as always happens at a conference like this, there's been a lot of surveys that have come out and, uh, I think it'd be fun to look through the surveys and the first thing. So, so as always, Brandon, you have to take over and fill in all the potholes that I leave here, but like we've got a, there's a survey that was it the new stack did. And then one that data dog did no red hat did red hat posted it. Yeah. Their, it was in the new stack and yep. their, in their, their advertorial over at the new stack. Now, you know, you know, I love the new stack and they were acquired by someone, but they need to kind of rejigger the, the spawn, the advertorial post to original content. They do great original content, but they need to take some of that. They were acquired. They were acquired by someone, right? I forget who, but like, yeah, yeah. They, they need to take some of that money and roll it into let's, let's say 70% original content or let me, let me, they need to have 20% more original content. I don't know what their mix is, <laughs> but I feel like. I feel like I see a lot, like I'll be reading something and I'll scroll down and then there'll be a giant headshot of someone. And the way it's rendered in Newsy, Newsify, where I read, like their their bio is all linked and I'm always like, oh, see you later, 
right? Like sometimes I read those. I mean, I recently had something last week posted in that method. So whatever. But, you know, sometimes I read them just to see what my fellow marketers, how they're talking and what they're going over. And every now and then there's a Martin Fowler world uh, level of marketing material that's also useful material. But yeah, anyways, 20% more. So I think to that point, Red Hat did a uh, survey of, was it 100 or something? Like it was of, of how people were using Kubernetes. So we got two surveys to go over, Brandon. That was an extremely long uh, footnote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got the Datadog came out with one on containers, and then our friends at the new stack published from the, our friends at Red Hat. They they came out with one. So it's interesting to look at them back to back. That's why I put them in here. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, and now, now the Datadog one, did I miss it? You can't actually download a PDF. You can just scroll their info, their top no, 10 info. They have a very nice page. website that you can go through. No PDF and, for them. And I was going to complain about that, but then I realized I didn't download the Red Hat PDF. So obviously, man. If if you are looking for someone who is not a hypocrite about things, just uh, you know, <laughs> just you're along. sorry. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so uh, what I'm what, what I the the thing I, I find myself most interested in, or interested in most frequently, is uh, uh, what people are running on Kubernetes, right? I mean, I guess the number one thing, and I think I I highlighted this when um, you know we we do a state of Kubernetes survey. And this is several months ago now, but I've uh, the past three or so years, I've ended up writing up the the blog entry on it. Um, and the thing I'm always interested in is percent of of an organization's workloads running on Kubernetes, right? Like, and mm-hmm. yeah, I go over this all the time, but I think you know, there's there's always someone someone's born every minute who hasn't seen the Flintstones or heard this very important distinction, and that is that like you know you've got penetration. Right. So and this is usually what you see in many of these surveys is percent of organizations running or using Kubernetes. Right. And you got to be really careful getting excited about that, because that means at least and maybe even at most that there is one container running in Kubernetes in the entire organization. Right. What you really want to pay attention to with the with the when it comes to usage of Kubernetes, what matters most is percentage of overall workloads that an organization is running. Um, now, secondarily, I would say what matters most, and most in the sense that it's very hard to figure out, we'll kind of reverse our way into it. But like what actual types of applications, not workloads, but the applications are running on it, like bill pay, the process for like, you know, approving a, mor- a mortgage for someone, or like, you know, the... Uh, uh, you know, I remember Kroger gave a presentation. I don't know what they, well, they ran this on Cloud Foundry way back when, when I was talking with them, but there's some software that like basically orders and plans for the trucks that go, the order that trucks go to their warehouse to unload their stuff. Because you can imagine, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But I mean, this very specific use case that you can yeah. imagine if you bone that up, like eggs yeah. are not going to get to the grocery store. <laughs> yes, things are bad. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, you know, eventually, hopefully we'll get to the point with surveys where we get those kind of answers, like the types of applications running. But in the meantime, both of these surveys talk about workloads, uh, the types of, how, let me pass it over to you, Brandon. How would you characterize what they call workloads in here? What, what is this that they're, they're talking about? Well, I think both of these things, I mean, we should, they're both vendor surveys. And I think we like them. So it's not like there's nothing bad about it. But I think oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, no, to great. go back to your point, right? Like these are obviously 
trying to promote the idea that everyone should be using containers and and all of that. So kind of stepping back from your your original question is just like, okay, sure, we're going to about to talk all these container surveys, but like no one really is talking about what percent of this makes up their all the workloads in their environment. But we know, like we just know. I'm just going to guess, like you know, ninety percent of the workloads for most companies are not in containers. Well, not I'll, in, I'll, okay. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you the I'll ahead. give you the fig I'll give you the figure that I use now, and and watch how I judo Gartner credibility here. And and uh, <laughs> I've, I've I've practiced this in my head many times. I'm uh-huh. lagging this thing here is. There's a there's a, a Google there's a Gartner press release from last year that they estimated, or no this year that they estimated that in 2025 percent of enterprise workloads are running on Kubernetes going up to 15 percent in 2024, and people right. might be like, oh Gartner they don't pay attention to anything interesting they just pay attention to like big boring mainstream companies and it's like exactly. That's that's exactly who I want telling me the percentage of enterprise workloads that are running there. So there you go. I think I think I think your uh, your your estimate lines up with yeah. uh, the best in the business. But that's fine. Like, but we know that we all know that. So it's sort of just setting the table, right? But now, having said that, right, what is interesting is like, well, we are all talking about Kubernetes. It is being adopted, and it will grow in the enterprise. So it is. I think both these surveys are really interesting about like, okay, yeah, they're great. What are people actually doing, right? And so we'll kind of give you the highlights here. So if we go to the Datadog survey, right, this aligned intuitively with what I would have guessed, right? Mm, they say that yeah, yeah. most of the things people are doing are the Nginx, Redis, and Postgres, right? Those are the top three container images deployed, right? The first two, absolute no-brainer to me, right? That's sort of the bread and butter of like, I don't know, CNCF, you know, cloud native, you know, you got to have yourself some Nginx, you got to have yourself some Redis. It is what it is. Postgres, I get why it's there, right? You need a database. It's easy to throw up in a container, but just also, also it works and it's free. It works and it's free, but that's also kind of a, that, that, the fact that it's Postgres deployed in a container image sort of tells me that to your thing around uh, your earlier questions, like, probably not a legit lot of logistic applications behind the scenes right these are probably fairly small relatively self-contained yeah that's interesting applications right, 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 because right. you know if it was mission critical right you probably again not don't I, I, when i say this this is a broad brush i realize but like you may be using some type of more reliable installation of your database, right? There's lots of different ways to do it. So there's probably a different way. I'm not saying, so before everyone comes, I'm not saying it can't be done in a high availability way. I'm how, about, just saying, how about this for some some annoying <laughs> wording, weasel wording is, you're probably using a more well-known, reliable data source. Right, I'm not, again, I'm not saying Postgres isn't good. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying that like, that's an indication, right? That the applications probably aren't, the most mission critical. So makes total sense, right? I think that I 100% get. Now, in the new stack one, right? Very interesting here, right? Because they say the number one workloads that they're seeing with, I guess, 80%. And I'll, I'll actually put the the new stack image as a sh- as an image. So just look at your podcast player. If, if you're using one that shows images, you'll see it. And so they're saying the number one thing is databases or data cache, which I was really surprised. I was really, because uh, in their uh, survey, 50%, only 56% are using some type of um, web server where they put, you know, EG, Nginx. So that's sort of 
that's fourth in their list. So it's like, that's really interesting, right? So obviously there's sample mm. size and there's different um, use cases that are going on here. But the fact that databases, and then the second one is what they call data ingestion, cleansing analytics. Like, so it's like Apache Kafka, Apache Spark, things like that. That makes sense to me too. Again, that's a very much a cloud native one, but I don't know. I didn't know what to make. It's just surprising, right? Of the Red Hat one, I was like, "Huh, that's that's really yeah." Well, well, let's like, let's. Why, uh, why is that? Go ahead. Let's let's look at. I mean, the the demographics. Do they say? You know, now now that I'm involved in a lot of these, man, I love the picture of Alex Handy there. You right. Know, congratulations to him for being bold. He really, the you know, people should go look at his picture here. But like, the only thing that he could do better is do that whole Olin Mills thing where there's a spooky, straight faced version right. of himself staring down. And let me ask. And then, let me go back and correct one thing. I guess to be fair, is it's like the subtle wording here is maybe what's throwing me off a bit. It's like databases or data cache. So data cache does include Redis, right? And it does include mm. Postgres. So I guess it does. I mean, I guess in some ways the data is matching up with the uh, the Datadog survey. It's just the fact that they put those two together. Like I think of them as distinctly different um, than, than this. So, but maybe it's saying the same thing, right? It's like, if you're saying it's mostly Redis inside there, that would match up with Datadog. And this other stuff, these other databases would only make up probably a very small percentage of this actual, you know, uh, bar graph we're looking here, looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting our friend Johnny to download this report for me <laughs> as, as we're talking. I don't want to hear it. unsubscribe me from all marketing. Very good. Wow. Right. Sure. Kudos to Red Hat that on on their Legion form they have the option to unsubscribe oh. me from all marketing communication right there. All right, well there you that's go. That's amazing. Wait, now that's building. That's that's how you build a clean opt in list right there. That, that 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 shows you you got people that actually want to hear from you. That that's the way yeah. to go. Man, I'm guessing they they asked Brian about that and he told them that that's what, what that's they the, be that's doing. the way so it's got to go. Give that well, guy the, a spot award. Well, what, while you're doing you, the you, other what, thing, we'll just round out the thing, the top the top uh, five here, right? So it's databases or data cache one, data ingestion and cleansing. So that's like your Apache Kafka we're mentioning. Then, of course, absolute software-defined talk, you know, our number one category, logging and monitoring. Like, you just can't have enough. You can't get enough logging and monitoring. It's like it always shows up. So that's the third. Web servers like Nginx, fourth. And then fifth, right, starts to get into, you know, AI and machine learning. So, of course that can mean a lot of stuff. So, um, so that's, it's interesting, right? So it's interesting that really there's a lot of that. I, you know, logging and monitoring is really interesting that it's, that it's like highest um, it's more than the actual applications themselves. So it's like, you know, this kind of gets into the, the thing that we kind of joke about a lot of times. It's like, you know, do we even know what we're building? Does it even matter? We're just building the logging and monitoring infrastructure. It seems like everywhere you are, it's always the same. Yeah. So um, the fact that that's such a high, Thing. That's sort of just a sort of like a callback to like some things never change, right? Doesn't matter what kind of architecture you have, you're always doing logging and monitoring. Yeah, yeah, no, and and you always have databases in there, and I mean that's hence I mean the next thing is the uh, we should go over is the attention to stateless, but okay, so here real real time update. Uh, I just I, Johnny sent this to me. He did some analysis here, <laughs> and uh, if you go, this is very interesting. This is great. The Red Hat survey. And I kind of glossed over this in the reading. It's basically of management and above. So if you look at the demographic breakdown, the titles are C-suite, VP, director, and manager. So there's no... So one, the Datadog one is scanning actual containers, right? They didn't right. ask anyone these things. They scan things. Um, and two, 
the Red Hat survey respondents are not the people building the containers. They're the ones who are managers and above, right? So they're, right. We, you know, you always, it's always fun in a survey to, to ask the, the individual contributors versus like four levels up the hierarchy, like what's going on. There's consistently wickedly hilarious mismatch between perception of, of what's happening between the two. But uh, so I think, and, and the other thing that makes this, the Red Hat one, a good survey is let me do, let me do the math. 32 plus 43 is 80. No, <laughs> I, there is uh no, no, no. Actually what I care about is 1001. So 10,000. So 43 plus 25. Let's, 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 what, what is that? 32, 70. So 68% of the people who responded work at a company that has 5,000 or more employees, okay. right? Big Which is pretty, yeah. that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Like big, large organizations. So I think, I don't know why the mechanics of it, like, oh, look, looks like Iceland uh, was included as well. Greenland skipped out on the survey, but that's fine. Uh, so I think that, I don't know why, but that's probably what causes the discrepancy is you have management answering questions about what they're running in Kubernetes. Right. Maybe that's a, that answers the first question. There. Like if, if you're just looking at from a management perspective, I could see why databases and data cache, like you think it's all one thing, probably for our audience, like we would think of that as differently. We'd probably break that out more like they did in the data dog survey. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So, you know, and, and also the, 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 the red hat one is nice. Cause it, it, well, it, it gives a little more hinting about the actual applications running there, right? Because there is uh, there is actually a significant amount of everyone's favorite category, AI, ML, right? <laughs> so, so you can see that there's a lot of data analysis being done there, which makes sense, right? Because data analysis is well, it, one, like it's often done by... Uh, what do you call them on the diffusion of innovation? The, the, the early majority, the early adopter nerd people, right? People who want to use tools and like, who are interested in new stuff. It also is really good. It's, it benefits from scaling horizontally. Did I get that right? Sure. Horizontal scaling. Yeah. Yeah, And then, and then, yeah. And then also uh, like a lot of the, you know, you can do it stateless. Like you can just pass state around and do the analysis instead of having to do transactional state with the more well-known reliable data stores uh, that are out there. But that's interesting. And then, and then there's a little bit of, uh, I w- you know, it'd be fun to see more detail on uh, the application servers and programming languages uh, people use. There's, there's message brokering stuff down there too, but that's, it's almost like, so we, maybe we'll talk about this next week, but we did a survey on um, open source packaging like basically how companies govern open source packaging, which maybe we'll talk about next week. Uh, and with the, this people who did that survey, did an interesting thing. They, they ask people what type of open source you use. And like, you know, obviously 89% of people use operating systems that are open source. Right. And <laughs> right. so the survey, I think very wisely was like, so for the rest of the survey, we threw out operating systems. Yeah, it's, be, it's, yeah. it's too much of an outlier. Like it's, yes. it's going to just fuzz up everything else. And so similarly, I think it would be interesting to like focus in a, a survey that was just about uh, the developer stuff running on Kubernetes. All, even all the way down to, as is kind of allude, uh, alluded here, like, you know, are they using Node? Like what UI framework are they using? And that would be, uh, that'd be fun stuff to do. But you can see a little bit of that here. Which is good because then otherwise, I mean, my take on the workload stuff is like, yeah, man, people are running web applications. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I think that's uh, 
that's the basic thing, right? It's like, yeah, it's kind of just the basic infrastructure you would expect. Web applications. Yeah. I do think the database stuff I'm interested in because I do, Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I wonder about that a lot, especially people that are in deploying to any public cloud or really anything is that, you know, the advantage is to take away, take advantage of some database as a service. Like when you're in any one of the hyperscalers, right? Like just get yourself out of the business of having to manage this database altogether, right? Because someone else has put it up. They've done all this, um, they've done all this work. So like that part is interesting to me. The fact that like all these databases are showing up in, in type of Kubernetes, where I was just like, Hey, I think there's a way that, you know, there's like an easy path out of it. Like that would be my, that'd be one question I would ask everyone is like, I'm glad you're doing this, all this Postgres stuff, but why, why, like, why don't we find some other way? Why don't we just find someone else who's hosted it, figured it out for us and we don't have to deal with it anymore. Right. And do all the backups. Um, the other thing I think in the data dog, one I wanted to hit on a little bit was just to say that, uh, the average number of pods per organization is doubled. So that's interesting. So that's kind of, I think that's a proxy code day for it is growing, right? That's the sort of, cons- yeah. I, I think just consumption, right? I'm like, ah, oh. so, so first that was their number three bullet. And I was like, oh, that's a really good data point that containerization is growing. But then in the data dog survey, a number five point they said is, pod auto scaling is becoming more popular. And then I was like, huh, wait a minute. Maybe everyone just turned on auto scaling, right? Like, you know, it's like you got to figure out how to use your, how you got it all working. And then you're like, now let me set up auto scaling, which of course is just going to like spin stuff up for you. Uh, yeah, when you need yeah. it, and then it will go away. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe everyone just figured out how to use it. No, auto you're right. I, that's, but it's the that's, same people. It's like the same workloads. They're just scaling up. So I was like, yeah, maybe no, it's that, not that's growing. That's, that's where these surveys are going to get complicated in the coming years. And I, this problem was probably solved for v, when, in VM surveys, or, or, or maybe not, right? But you're right. Like, there's a big difference between, between my logistics application requires requires i'm just making stuff up here five containers split across three pods and then i want to run that redundant so now i need uh math now i need six pods and 10 containers right just to have like full redundancy and then also i should probably have triple redundancy and then i have like 15 warehouses so here is like here's the base minimum of, of containers i need to run However, when it's like, you know, the, the days before Thanksgiving, when everyone needs to go buy Libby's pumpkin pie, uh, we should get them as a sponsor, uh, you know, in a can, like I don't, I shouldn't really count, you know, spinning up all these container images as sort of like global container footprint, right? Right. Like, or, or I can count it, but that's a whole other thing to count than like how many containers are actually being used now us vendors would like would probably be like no 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 you should only count the maximum in usage we're going to follow the oracle parking lot uh like <laughs> method of, of of pricing and that's all anyone should ever pay attention to but yeah. you know i think as far as getting actual intelligence like survey people are going to have to start distinguishing between the baseline of containers that you need to run versus like scaling up to, uh, to, to peak demand. Yeah. Well, I think what we really want is, you know, some type of, uh, you know, what you really want to get to is like, Hey, how many applications do you have? What are the, what are those applications? Like what are the business value? And then underneath that, how are they deployed? And then just some sense of load, because obviously everything should have to some degree, everything should have some auto scaling. And I don't know, like I'm just reading the surveys. Like, I mean, I think probably both things are right here. 
Yes, people are using more pods because they have more applications. And yes, there are a lot more container or a lot more, um, if you will, uh, pod deployments because auto scaling is been actively turned on for lots of them, right? And so it's like both things can be true. So it's probably so it's probably just a little bit like if we were to just track this number over time, we would say it's slightly inflated, right? We'd say some of these auto scaling thing is just the regular applications being scaled, right? There's no new workloads here. And that's what we really care about. And then of course, your favorite, Cote. The other thing um, I like is uh, number six was, uh, or this is the data dog survey, organizations are deploying more stateful workloads on containers. That's mm. real shocking, Always right? good. You're, you're really yeah. surprised by that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember reading this a, co- a couple of days ago and, th- and thinking like, I know a clever phrase, stateless is useless. <laughs> Like, which is not entirely true, like all jokey phrases, but yeah, I mean, that's ultimately, and, and, you know, like I was saying a little earlier, I mean, I think, I think the, uh, uh, to do the wet finger in the wind analysis, anecdotal stuff, like, it seems like that's what a lot of the chatter around Kubernetes is. There's two things people seem to talk about with Kubernetes nowadays, which is like, oh, YAML. Uh, and then like (laughs) the the other thing is like, oh, we got to have state, right? Like people really want state, which, which makes sense. Cause like. I mean, you got to have state, uh, like that, that's other, otherwise like your, your stuff comes and goes, right. If you want to buy anything, you want to transact, like if you want to, uh, if you want to have an effect on the world, you probably need to have state. And now I guess, I guess you can always, you could do toggling, right. I mean, you're always pushing the state off to some other system. Like I was thinking, you could kind of do write a stateless application for a home automation thing because the the lamp will keep track of the state, whether it's on or off. But then you'd, you'd constantly have to be polling it so you could display if it was on or off. So like even that, even for the simple thing of turning a switch on and off, you've got to maintain state somehow. Like somewhere state has to be maintained if you want the light switch to like, if you want the icon in your home automation thing to indicate if it's on or off, like, you can't just be polling it all the time. That yeah, well, and even if you're just a whole nother rat hole, we could go on for hours. Like, because this is my like, I think I've had this conversation much. I was like, well, what do you mean by state, and what do you mean by stateless? Like, it just like when you get inside this, it can just like to your point, it could be very simple. Like you said, like a lamp, or it could be like I'm maintaining the state for like a very long, complicated business transaction, right? That is, and it's like yeah, they're pretty different things, right? That's pretty different. So when we lump this together, it's like. Because maybe someone would say the lamp state is they would just, well, that's stateless, right? Because you're just sort of, that's just cached on the browser, right? Or wherever, right? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, again, I think it's just, I think if we kind of take step back from it, what matters here is like people are using it more. The fact that state app, uh, applications that are stateful are being deployed more, that's just an indication that I would say maturing technology more real world applications, totally business critical applications. It is growing, probably not as growing as much as we think because of the auto scaling, but it's generally increasing. And then of course we should always caveat all of this with like, this is all very exciting and very fun to read about. And we should all know about this, but at the same time, we need to remember whatever the statistic you gave earlier, over 90% of the workloads are still out there, probably in a virtual machine. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. 
Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash SCT. That's cbtnuggets.com slash SCT. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. Start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash SCT. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, for whatever reason, uh, you know you know how the, uh, we've, we've all, at least the hosts here, been involved in scheduling big conferences and some things, sometimes things happen. For some reason, Google Cloud Next is scheduled the same week as Kubernetes, as KubeCon. I, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, a good idea. But here it is. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I should know what goes on in Anthos world a lot better. Cause I think, I, I think it's like a competitor to Tanzu stuff, right? I think OpenShift, Anthos, I forget what Azure calls its thing. Azure and, uh, uh, OpenShift are kind of, and I'm sure I'm supposed to throw like some other people in there, but those are kind of like the, if you want, a full cloud stack for developers to run anywhere. Multi-cloud. I think that's what all those things are. Yes. You got to let's sit on Azure Arc, right? And then there you go. And then you got AWS, EKS and ECS anywhere, right? Those are kind of like, of course, we've lumped a lot of stuff together. So everyone would say they're kind of slightly different, but they also slightly, they also do much the same thing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to put another plug for the drunker and retired podcast, we spent a whole episode trying to figure out the mechanics of various types of bread and what makes bread. Here's something for the audience to you to ponder, Brandon. At what point does a piece of bread turn into pizza? Right. Mm. Cause there's take, get just the pizza crust. That's bread. Yeah. But you start adding stuff to it. And at some point you don't call it bread. You call it pizza. Now, similarly, mm. I think, you know, what you just described to me is when I go to the wonderful bakeries in the Netherlands, all these breads are different, but they're basically all bread, right? <laughs> what I'm going to do with these things is, you know, I may be able to use them for slightly different things, but for any, any given type of bread, I can make two slices of and stick something in and make a sandwich out of it, right? So anyways, it's all bread. You know, maybe it's, it's got different things. Anyhow, my whole point in that is like, I, I don't pay t- as close enough attention to Anthos as I should. I remember I got last year, I finally found like a PDF that explained it and I read it and it made sense. But uh, we need, we need these analysts uh, to come up with like, Hey man, these are all just platforms. It's all just bread. I, yeah. w- I want some analysts to do that. It's all just bread. <laughs> it's so it's easier for me bread. to keep up with stuff. Well, I do think, you know, kind of to your point about it's all just bread, I guess, the the big announcements, you know, I, I guess one, I I kind of every time I'm kind of like watching an industry conference or in this case a vendor conference, I'm always like, man, the state of IT has never been more complicated. And that's not a comment on mm. anything specific. It's just like, you know, Google announced had a whole bunch of announcements on top of Microsoft's announcements on top of the AWS, and VMware, and Red Hat, and everyone else. And it's like, wow, it's just, I've, I, you know, I think you could probably say this. At any time in the history of technology, you're like, wow, it's never been more complicated than this. But having said that, uh, you know, the things that I took away from the Google Next, and by I, there's just too many sessions, can't watch them all. But the things that I thought were really good was like, one, they spent a lot of time talking about the Google Distributed Cloud, which was basically the ability to take Anthos and then deploy Google's, you know, as they kind of say, 
you know, their software to multiple places. So they have their, yeah. uh, their points of presence. So they have 140 points of presence, very similar. It sounds like to AWS was doing something similar. So if you needed something to run very close, but you don't want to have to manage any of it, you just would go to like, for example, maybe they have a point of presence in Austin. Then the other one they spend a lot of time talking about that I never quite understand, but I guess I do understand it. It's like at the edge, what they really mean there, I guess it's, um, sorry, I should say operator, right? Which they really, I, I would just call it a telco, but I guess operator is the right word. And so if you did have a, an application that required extremely fast latency, sounds like they're going to partner up with, you know, telcos like AT&T and others, and they will yeah. have the ability to deploy there. It's, I gotta be honest, like, I know it's, a, it must be a huge market. Like the telco market's like its own world. I just like the people, I don't know, the enterprise customers I talk to, like that doesn't come up. So I'm not disparaging it though. Like it's clearly like a, a group of customers that need that are just like, I don't know. I just don't work with them that much. So mm. there's that and, one. And that, that, that's, that's a, that's a tasty well to jump right down right there. Cause I, I agree with you like over the years, like, so I first encountered this when I was doing the Dell cloud strategy. Right. And you know, back in 2010, 2011, right? Like if you weren't Amazon, everyone was going through every single thing that you would do to, to, to be in cloud. And back then cloud meant public cloud. Like there right. was no, this is back in the days when you remember this word, Brandon bursting. Yes. We, we, would, yes. we would do, we would do that. So anyways, uh, and so I spent a, a fair amount of time, like looking, talking about, talking with, and like thinking about telco stuff. And, and you're right. It is like, it's a weird, it's oddly not talked about very much. And maybe, you know, in the realms that we're in. And I think there's, you know, I remember Google several years ago had a similar announcement, which was basically like, we will have like regional, physically close places you can run stuff in our cloud, yep. <laughs> right? Like, like all the major metropolitan areas, we may have like, we may not have like, we may have like Google zones, like, you know, East, Central, West. I don't know what zones are anymore. You know, right. I'm, I'm way up here at the digital transformation <laughs> level, not, not the Morlock level. But like, in addition to that, like, I remember Google saying, we're also going to have these special like city zones, like right. the Chicago zone. So, right. And that's what they call Google's. That's the, that is their Google's network edge and they have 140 locations. So that's right. Right. And, and so, and so it's like this, it's, it's that thing again, which, you know, I was thinking, you know, I was, I was trying to, um, and to speak about, here's a, here's another well that branches off from this one that like, is just f f fucking software. Like I was trying to hook up my Toyota to like the, my Toyota account. And it's just a nightmare, right? Like it's, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I think that my Toyota, my, my, my car is like on its own network somewhere. You know what I mean? Like it's somehow mm -hmm. like has its own network which I assume it's, I don't know what, if that's what 5G is or something, but like there probably are these workloads where like you don't want to be on like a normal cell phone network or you do and it's not the public internet, but then you want to use the whole Google cloud infrastructure. So you have this, I don't even know the vocabulary for this. It's not an, it's not an air gap thing. It's like a confusing gap thing where like you're on the Google network, but you're not on the internet maybe yeah. kind of sort of well i think that's what which... they call in this case their name is so operator edge so as i understand it is that you would go to the telco and you'd say hey i want to deploy 
some of my workloads, like almost like actually in, you know, as close to the network infrastructure as possible. So that like one example they gave was like, or like at grocery stores, back to the grocery store example, Kroger, it's like, you know, online ordering inside a grocery store. So it's like low latency is very important. Like if someone's in the grocery store scanning, wanting to do stuff, right? So you would say, I want my customers doing that. Latency is really important. So I'm going to deploy my workloads inside of the operator edge so that when it goes over the 5G, right, that's the sl- that's basically the, the minimum amount of latency or the maximum latency I want is just from 5G right to your to your point of presence. And then I want to process the request and send it right back over your wireless network, right? I don't want it to have to travel over the length yep. of the internet. And and so like, I think I understand the use case and I, sure, I, it seems valid. I just like, you know, I always just contrast this with like all the people, all the customers I've talked to. I don't, I think maybe one time this has come up, but that just, but I think if I, w- if I worked exclusively yeah, 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 yeah. in telco sales or operator sales, if that was my only market I ever worked in, maybe this would come up every day, right? That's you know, the part that I don't know. You know, I think, I think, I think maybe this is a case at least, uh, for me, speaking for me, where, where, uh, where like the, the fact that there's a whole bunch of like telco marketing buzzwords in there, like makes it too confusing for me, right? Like I remember reading through this and it's all this stuff about 5G and whatever. And like, and so I was like, oh my God, like we as an industry have almost settled on what edge means without it being some <laughs> bozo term, right? Like, like we, we've almost gone over only edge scenarios, which is basically, we used to call it robo remote right. office, branch office, right? or, or warehouse for logistics or the grocery store. It's just like, it's just, you want to run the stuff, not in your, in a central data center. Right. And if that's, that seems to be what edge means. And that's totally cool. Like there was a time when edge was going to be like cars and wheels on trains and like GE engines and all yeah, this yeah. like stuff. And I think eventually people are like, eh, like, <laughs> like, well, here's what we just to clean it up a little bit. Here's what, Here's how Google refers. So Operator Edge, which is on their communication service providers, which I would just call them telcos, deployed this out of telco. And then the other edge they have, Customer Edge, which is their examples, is branch offices. Like, that's what we would normally say. It's like, oh, yeah, we need to deploy something in the branch office. And the final one that you can now deploy um, is the customer data centers, which is just like, that's what we call hybrid cloud or whatever, right? Right, right, right. Totally. So So those are your four options. And so you basically have three edges, the Google network edge, the 140 points of presence, you don't have to do anything. The operator edge, that's out on the telco. The customer edge, yeah, branch yeah. office. And then four, we finally returned to like our world, the world that I think you and I spend a lot of is like, I want to run this on infrastructure in my data center. And that's the, the customer data center yeah, edge, or yeah, place. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I guess if you, if like what I would want to be the case to simplify it is like this whole, the whole, <laughs> we're like a, a bunch of you know ignorant people describing some sophisticated thing which is just very exciting but like it, it's, it's sort of like uh oh so you can run part of the google cloud stack in a telco data center where you can also run your own software so it's closer to each other right yep cool that's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it is. I mean, I think it's one of these things. And, and like, if you need it, if that was what you were waiting for and you need it, you're like, you're very excited. But for everyone yeah. else, it's like, don't really don't. I'm going to be in a data center or I'm just going to be on the cloud. Right? Like, I don't I don't know. Like for most people, latency 
this kind of uh, minimizing this kind of latency is not going to be like a top 10 problem for you. Right. You're yeah, just, yeah. It doesn't and, matter. And, and, I, and maybe to your point, maybe the trade off is like, so there's another, I forget if we have this in the, uh, the show notes, but there was, yeah, because they announced this. I think Wendy's, there's a great, a great, uh, uh, great piece on Wendy's with, uh, their CIO talking about like how they're thinking about using AI at Wendy's. And it's, it's great because it's just, I mean, it's actually just machine learning and some, you know, advanced analytics, but it's actual, like very helpful, boring stuff. Like, Telling people it's time to flip a burger, which sounds like making a tedious job even more terrible to have like some screen telling you to flip a burger. But, but you know, just things like trying to predict what order someone might want to have so that you can correct misunderstanding them over a speaker, things like that. And like, I guess there's a scenario there where you need a very small amount of latency. I mean, it's called fast food for a reason. And like, you need that small amount of latency. And so you could think like, so I'm going to build out probably vertically scaling performant data centers in each Wendy's store. Or if I can get a network connection that's reliable and fast enough, I could run those in like, you know, the local telco data center yeah. hooked up Google Cloud. And so like, I could see that there would be a lot of scenarios like that where you're like, I don't really want to put like a rack of servers next to the the, the fry station in, in, this, uh, in this place where the mops are going to be spilt on it. But I have to because there's no other alternative that's fast enough. But if if the telcos can like hook you up with some 5G stuff, whatever the fuck that means, uh, that like runs stuff in their in in their operator edge, then that would be pretty straightforward and make mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Well, I think you know, there's I think a pretty famous. I mean, it's a Chick Fil A case study. I can't even remember who did it, but they deployed some yeah, Kubernetes, and um, and I think that's exactly why it's like they needed low latency to communicate with the kitchen, um, you know, I guess the kitchen appliances, right? Like, you know, the fryers and everything. So like literally the fryer, um, if I remember. Yeah. So in that case, it was like, yeah, that, you know, that made sense. And then the other one, they don't mention it is specifically on the network edge, but like uh, high frequency trading is the other really place that this comes up all the time where again, like in, and so we would say like, well, how many people want to do it? And that's like, not that many, but the people that want to do it want to pay you a lot of millions money, yeah. and millions of dollars. So, yeah, that, so that's why you would build out a whole business because you're like, oh, I can just sell this to one customer totally, and totally. maybe they'll they'll pay me twenty million dollars a month because high frequency trading is you know throwing off hundreds of millions of dollars. So yeah, so yeah. those are like, I mean, they're out there, but I, I don't think for the most of us it's that useful. But I do think ultimately, kind of you know, coming up one level from where we started here was like, hey, this is just another big push by a hyperscaler sort of rounding out the things that other people have already introduced, but now that their push is Anthos, right? So it's all about, you know, we joke about the manager of managers, like who's like, who wants to be on top? Well, in their vision, Anthos is the top level manager. You use Anthos to, to manage all of this together. It's all one nice console. You can move your workloads around. You can see it running. Of course, you know, Tanzu's in there. That's another you know, Tanzu sometimes wants to be on top. And of course, you know, Azure Arc wants to be on top or Red Hat. So so it is like while all of these um, and then, of course, Google goes on to say that they're big partners with VMware. So it's always the, it's always the frenemy thing going on. It's like, yeah, I can work with you or I can also be the but I really do want to be the thing that's on top. So that'll be interesting to see over time because Google is putting a lot of effort around Anthos. Like does, does Anthos become the default manager on, on top or, or like what place does it find in the market? That'll be what I look for. Like going next year at this time, how many people are doing it? So finally, Brandon, uh, 
Do you think we're going to get a finally get go back to having an Ethernet port on Macs? <laughs> yeah, no, I do think back? I'm excited for uh, the announcements on. Um, I guess what is it next week? Sometime Apple's going to bring out the new Macs, and I do think, you know, from the enterprise software, I I think of, um, you know, the rumors are that that the Mac Pros will add back the ports that many of us liked. So an HDMI port, maybe an Ethernet port, potentially an SD card port, and then maybe MagSafe. And I do, I was going to put this in uh, terms of enterprise software, like um, in product management, there's always this quest to be like, let's solve the customer's problems. Let's make their life easier. And that often um, finds its way into (laughs) like, we're going to create the reports that customers need and we're going to make their life easier. We're not going to let them export the data. Right. We don't want the next port data because like we want them. We're going to provide business value and we're just going to show the reports that they want. And we're not going to we're not going to trouble them with a JSON export or CSV or something like that. So uh, this happens all the time in enterprise software. People take that away and they're like, you see, just the reports there. And uh, usually the customers are pissed. They're like, no, no, I needed it because they have all these reasons they were doing it that. In, and then, you know, but you're like, you don't need to do it. You don't need to do it that way. Just read the report. But then eventually, if enough time goes by, you you add it back. You add back export data and you make it better than it's ever been. You're like, yeah, I got JSON. I got CSV. I got like uh, customizable. I can do it on a scheduled. And it, and it's like, it's like the lesson like you learn over and over, I think, in enterprise software. And I think, well, this in Apple, the HDMI port represents that. It's like, I know, I know you want us to use USB-C and We'll just use DisplayPort and we're going to use your beautiful Apple TVs. But no, like at the end of the day, like we need an HDMI port. And I would even say we need an Ethernet port because this is like latency. I don't know. There's nothing else I can do. Sometimes when we record a podcast, I want less latency. So so I'm hoping like like I have been the witness to and maybe a part of adding back export data. I hope they add back the HDMI and Ethernet port. And I'll just say for mm. me, I'm okay with no SD card or MagSafe. It's fine. I, I'll live with, you know, I'll live with the limitations of a, a dongle for an SD card. That's a reasonable trade-off. That's fair. So let, we'll let me, see. I, I hope it happens. I have, I have, I have no predictions. I, I kind of even, I forgot that there's an event next week, but whatever. <laughs> I, I, I have two comments there. Brandon, you know why? Because One. your Mac, let me just say this. No, you don't. I was gonna say you have the new Mac. I was like, because your Mac has a, an HDMI port, but it doesn't go on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got USB-C, boy. Wait, so one, let me just let me just uh, uh, do a little promotion for an SD card slot. This is I learned this from Matt Ray. Someone kind of figured out this conceptual hack a, a while ago. Is that um, if you have the the right kind of insert, you know, you can't extend the hard drive on a laptop. Yep, especially the and an SD card is a very good way Secondary to like drive. give yourself more 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 drive space. So it is like it's almost like I feel like a a unspoken uh compromise apple makes that like oh people actually do need to have more hard drive space and they don't want to pay for it right now i I think the way that it's conceptualized is like oh you want to download photos from a camera yeah and that said it is really annoying i mean uh every now and then like i found an old let me see if i have it i found an old uh canon power shot at a thrift store and I bought it just for the memories and boy, it is a hassle to get photos off of there. I had to like, I had to find like an SD card reader and like this stuff. And so it is nicer to be able to just put that card in there, but like who really has that problem nowadays? Such a, such a minority. Listen, I take the SD card. I'm with you. Like 
If it had yeah. it, I would be good with it. But, but if I'm you just cut things, right? yeah. But no. that's to say, like, if I'm sitting with the product manager and he's like, mm, "I don't know, man. I don't know if we have enough margin in here for desktop," yeah, and I'd no. be yelling at him, I'd be like, "This MacBook is worth," you know what I mean? Especially now that they switched over the chips, I'm like, "Your margins are ridiculous. Give us the yeah. SD card." But if he's like, "No, I'm only going to give you two," I'd be like, "I want an HDMI." Now, and, 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 and now, now let me let me let me try for another interview to be the SVP of cables at Apple. I want to make, I want to make a, a business <laughs> strategy suggestion. And right. that is Apple has so much money, right? Lots of money. And I know it's all priced in and so, but this is yeah. going to be, you know, you know, sometimes you got to think different, even when it comes to how, how you're doing R and D. And, and I feel like I like the idea of USB-C. I want to, I want to walk back some of my, you know, EU standardizing things. I think the, I think the dithering boys have convinced me that you don't want, you don't want the EU like messing around with cable standards. That's, that's a bad idea. Um, I mean, and indeed my suggestion was that you do it well, which I think is an easy <laughs> suggestion to make. Uh, but USB-C is cool, sort of, but they fucked that up. There's all these different types of USB-Cs. There's like, uh, it's all a mess, right? And then also with HDMI, like why do we have DisplayPort? Why do we have a- a- HDMI DisplayPort? Like whatever. Like I remember back at Dell, I heard you have DisplayPort because the licensing on it was much cheaper than HDMI. So if you wanted to have razor thin, yep. So I've heard like yep. laptops, mm-hmm. like more margins. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Which is probably why HDMI was on Apple because they were like, we got margin to burn. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone actually thinks like that, but whatever. Uh, but so Apple needs to take like I don't know five hundred billion dollars, like some mm. some you know whatever money they're making off of Apple Arcade. That's probably at least fifty billion dollars, right, or, or something. <laughs> right. And and it's probably a rounding error for them. And just be like, all right, we're just going to buy all the cable people, and like just, who, yeah, whoever whoever this. all these people are who are like you know deciding that they don't want to all follow one standard. We own you now, and so now mm-hmm. we're all going to follow one standard. Like I don't I don't know what that will mean, or like if that follows antitrust, but like I'm sure. I shouldn't say I'm sure. Well, I, I am like 95% confident sure that this madness of cables with we have always amounts to two people in one room. And one person's like, I want five cents. And the other person's like, I want to give you four cents. And then there's a third person who's like, I'll sell it to you for four cents. But then their cable's incompatible. <laughs> and it's just like, fuck, man. Throw some pennies around Apple and just like solve our problems. <laughs> right? Try and get just, it done. I think I think you're right. Yeah. I hope so. I hope they do it. They they do, and I think we can. You know, because everyone they would always say back like, "Hey, we have to make this amount of money. It's priced in." But I do think these new Macs they have a lot of more margin to play with, right? And one they can still make equally amounts an equal, if not more, amount of money, and they could give us throw us a bone and make our lives just slightly easier. And I think that would be a win win for everyone. So we'll see. Tune in next week. To see what that yep, what yep. decisions they I made. mean, I'm, I'm saying, call call me up. I got some great ideas for for uh, cable strategy. Whatever at, at Apple. That's uh, you know, I'm 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 always willing to try a new thing. Uh, and see see how that works out. Uh, well, so uh, do we have any bureaucracy this week, Brandon? Yeah, we have a a few things here. Uh, one, um, several jobs posted in the uh, job channel of the Slack. So Ed wants you to be a product manager at VMware. So you can work with Cote and you need to be based in Spain. So Cote, hopefully you'll get some applicants. Mm, rough uh, life and, being based in Ed, Spain. We'll get some. And then Brian wants you to be a senior product manager uh, over at Red Hat. And that's in uh, Bangalore. 
And then he's got another job uh, based in the UK. I don't know. No, no jobs in the US this week. I don't get it. But okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. And then picking up on last week's uh, discussion, we talked a little bit about how to jumpstart your car. It was an insightful discussion. Brian recommends uh, a specific jump box. It's very like very similar to the one I have. So if you're looking for one, you can uh, see the link in there. And then um, Chris also tells us that, yes, the Tesla does a very good job of replacing the 12-volt battery. So they'll, they'll actually just send a truck out when it gets uh, when it's mm-hmm. about to die. So there you go. Tesla figured out batteries. No one else has. And then finally, didn't do it this week because no one emailed me. But if you want some stickers, this is what I got to do. Send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. That's that's the other job I, I would want to do at a company is is the senior vice president of send a truck out. And the basic <laughs> theory of this job is that like, Pretty much any problem your customers have can be taken care of if you just send a truck out. So let's build up that competency. Just, <laughs> just send a truck out. Whatever it is, they'll fix it. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we, there's several conferences now. Uh, obviously, KubeCon is going on. Uh, it's also virtual. There's also GitOps Days uh, coming up October 20th. There's a Trigger Mesh open source software webinar. I think software is a little redundant in there, but that's fine. That's on October 28th. Uh, I should check that out, but I probably won't. There's also uh, MongoDB up in London on November 9th. And then finally, coming up January 17th to 20th is that conference up there in Round Rock or Austin, if you prefer. Now, I was I was uh, fixing to uh, apply uh, to uh, be a counselor. It took me a long time to figure out that cutesy phrasing. They just mean apply to speak. Uh, and uh, for, for us to li- do a live recording, but I also got to get in an actual tangentially work-related thing. So I can, uh, we can do can, it. Uh, Brett, Brett's on, he'll, he'll hook you up. So if anyone wants to speak so, there, we, we can so do I it. Gotta, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, put in that we have a, a, a live recording. Maybe we'll interview some people there. I don't know, whatever, but, uh, that's, you should go check that out. It looks like, it looks like it'll be good, a good conference. So with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? My recommendation this week is I've finally gotten around to, uh, finally getting two good monitors and then i got a uh, a dual monitor mount mm. and i actually got it off facebook market we've got a really good deal but so i'm going to recommend this uh, universal dual monitor arm mount and it has pistons on it so you can kind of like move them independently and things like this and i have to say really nothing has been better for my posture and my overall like i don't know just uh, stretching ability than having monitors that can easily move to the heights that i naturally look at so like i'm i think i'm probably like you know, 35 years late to finally getting around to do this, but, uh, it's great. It's, I mean, you know, just stating the obvious, it's like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't, if you can mount your monitors correctly and find some, spend a little extra money and get yourself a nice mount, you can move them up and down or, you know, stack some books. Uh, don't be like me where you just like kind of look down at the laptop or the just monitor sitting on your desk for years. And it just, you know, gives you that permanent crink in your back. So, uh, so I really like this monitor arm, but I really would recommend any monitor arm and it's worth, uh, spending some time to, uh, do a little home setup, which I probably should have done maybe two years ago. So don't be like me, do it, do it sooner than rather than later. Oh man, I, I endorse that. I, I have those too. And the other, the other thing that's good is, uh, I'm sure you got the type that you can spin, but you can also spin your monitor around so you can get that, uh, you can get that Al Gore set up. Where you you, uh, you you have things in portrait mode. I've, that's what I I switched back to that on one monitor. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to keep that. But yeah, you got to get the monitor stands. You don't have to be like a, a flash trader to, uh, to need monitor stands. With the but with the pistons is exactly right because you got to be able to move it around. Well, I have I have two recommendations. One is the uh, 
the uh, I, the most recent, and I guess last until more years pass, uh, David Sedaris Diaries came out, a carnival of snackery. Uh, I forget what the previous one is called, but you know, it's it's as I said, diaries, not exactly his polished stories. And uh, he reads them. He also has, for some reason, Tracy Ullman reading the parts that happen in England. I, I don't really know why, although it's very confusing, but she reads some of them, which is great. And uh, of course, you want to get the audio version to hear him going over them. And yeah, you know, they're fun. I like listening to diaries. That might be my favorite genre at the moment. And then also, uh, I want to recommend there have been some pictures of our friend Tasty Meets Paul uh, at KubeCon. <laughs> And I haven't I haven't watched him live streaming with JJ recently, but like Paul has really I think he's 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 figured out the perfect hairstyle for him, like hair and beard. Like it's I just I just like the whole thing going on there. It's almost like it's almost like Australian Jesus. And I mean that in a good way, but it's just like all the pictures of Jesus that are made should be patterned after that look now, because I think I think it really will set the tone of uh, what we what we want from the Lord and the world needs from the Lord after that, if Paul is the stamp for it. So uh, we'll put a, we'll put a link to that. Uh, I forget. It was a Bridget who took the picture. Someone took a picture of him and uh, it's just great. He's doing a good job there. And I mean that sincerely. So with that, as always, this has been software defined talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, including more details on all those conferences we mentioned, you can go to software defined talk.com slash three You can see all the archives, you know, you can subscribe to it, leave a comment in all the places, add it to all of your children's devices, any device that you come up on. If, you're, if someone asks you to take a photo of them and hand you their phone, first add a subscription to this podcast <laughs> to their phone, and then take three pictures and see, see if they like it or not. And, uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Yes. If, if recording a, uh, a multi-non-award winning podcast like ours is too tiring for 1030 at night, you just have to do it for three years and eventually you'll get used to it.